Welcome in to a Tuesday morning edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw back with you alongside Alex Wolf. We are starting off with a recap of Knicks Thunder. It wasn't very close. The Thunder were up by 20 since the opening quarter, and they cruised to a 127-109 win, but we will parse out some positives, talk about a few negatives, and give you the rest on Knicks Thunder. And then we're going to talk about specifically uh, Frank Nilakina and Alonzo Trier. Because they've been kind of uh, surging a little bit the last couple of games, which is good to see. So definite positive to take away from this game was that pairing. And then finally, we'll talk about Cantor's slightly stronger trade request, if not total trade request. That's different than his less enthusiastic trade request that he had earlier in the season. That also wasn't totally a trade request. And then we'll finish off with Luke Cornett's injury on this edition of the Locked on Knicks podcast. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind. Count one. As What he does is contagious. To Trier. Trier drives. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I am Gavin Shaw. I am joined by Alex Wolf. Uh, big time shout out to Alex for doing every podcast. Last week, he, he is a hero. I was at the Hoopal Classic uh, held uh, in Springfield, Massachusetts, the site of the NBA Hall of Fame, which we weren't planning on talking about this, but I'll, I'll give it a quick mention. I visited for the first time. It was very cool. They have a great movie. They have some quotes from Mike Breen on the wall. Uh, there's also a basketball court there that features a peach basket that you're allowed to shoot around on. And I also got to um, broadcast some of the top high school basketball players in the country and most importantly, shoveled snow for the first time in my life. So it was an eventful week for me and Alex here on the home front, chatting it up with James, some great podcasts in case you miss those throughout the week. So I'd, I'd say a pretty successful week for both of us. So how many, uh, how many future Knicks did you see while you were at that tournament? Oh, man. You know, I, I wish I could say I, I did see one, but knowing that the Knicks will inevitably trade their first-round pick next season, all these guys were pretty good. I, I'm not sure if I, if I saw any, Alex. Hey, none of, this, none of this defeatist crap, all right? We are in the era of Scott Perry now. You will right. not be speaking about, you know, Isaiah-era-type transactions anymore. That's not going to happen. Yeah, they are be, very resolute in holding on to their first round picks now. It seems like I, I think we're finally in good shape. Right, I'll I'll I'll, I'll roll with that until it, uh, my, my again my twenty years of Knicks fandom has told me to never hold that expectation for too long. But Alex, with you, I'm going to be positive. I, I trust in it. Uh, there were there was there was a, just an insane amount of talent. If if any of those guys end up on the Knicks, I'll I'll be the first to first to talk about it. All, All right. right, let's get into it. Uh, a one twenty seven one oh nine win for the Oklahoma City Thunder over the New York Knicks. Uh, we said it in the open. They were up by 20 in the first quarter. We, we were kind of talking about this pre-show. It just it just felt like a really crummy all-star game, kind of, in how it was played. But that, that led to some good moments, I felt. And obviously, we're going to get into this more in the second segment. Guys like Frank Nilakina, um, Tim Hardaway sometimes, to ill effect, Emmanuel Moody. And they just kind of they played really loose. And with Frank in particular, like he showed up some dribble moves I didn't even really know he had in his repertoire. Uh, Moody, a really aggressive attacking Russell Westbrook. Hardaway just kept shooting threes until they started going in. 
So it was, it was just kind of even even Cantor had some fun moments in, in finishing and transition. It, it was just kind of an entertaining shit show of a game, which, you know what, with this next season, I, I think that's really all we can ask for. Yeah, I mean, it was like the first the first quarter, like you mentioned, they got outscored by almost 20 points. And then after that, I mean, they at least kept it reasonable for the rest of the game. You know, it was uh, they won the final quarter. They only lost the other two quarters by like three points total. So, you know, they managed to they managed to keep it. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to call it. Like they didn't keep it within spitting distance. Like you, you knew they weren't going to win the game, but at least played respectable after they kind of got shelled to start the game. I don't know if maybe the early start time threw them off. It's funny, you would think that like the early start time in New York City, of all places, would affect the road team more so than the home team. You know, the road team maybe would come in and, you know, Westbrook and all them might be out, you know, late in New York City the night before, but the Knicks just, they look kind of sleepy to start the game and then kind of had some troubles. But like you mentioned, you know, Frank was good. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about him more in the, the next segment and kind of get a little more in depth, but he had nine points, five assists and a steal played some good individual D. Um, he played 30 minutes, which was probably the best part and looked pretty comfortable running the point out there with Trier out there to sort of be his, uh, his like combo guard as, you know, to take a little bit of the responsibility off him with ball handling and, uh, Trier, you know, who, again, we'll, we'll talk about in the next segment also, had some good moments as well. He had 16 points, career high eight assists, which kind of flew under the radar that it was a career high for him, but it was uh, to this point, a young career, obviously. But uh, he was moving the ball well. It wasn't playing so much like Isozo, like his moniker. He was kind of just playing, playing within the offense, and and really seemed like he was. I don't know, not like just looking for his points and stuff today or not just, just looking to get himself in a rhythm, but looking to kind of keep the whole team moving today, which was good to see. Um, and then uh, probably my third star, if we're doing this like hockey style was Mitch yeah. Robinson, who, uh, and it's not to say anything bad on Tim, who I think just kind of performed the way that we expect him to perform, at least on a pretty good day for him. Um, but Mitch, Played pretty well, but he fouled out in 15 and a half minutes. I thought he got kind of kind of crapped on by the refs on at least two of the, those calls. The one look, they specifically looked at uh, on the broadcast, and they were like, that was a block. That was not a, a foul. I think it was on Paul George, so it was kind of like yeah. the benefit of the doubt call. But he, he had eight points, four four, perfect shooting, six boards, one steal, two blocks. Uh, probably should add three blocks again because he had, had one that was clean on Paul George that so he got called for a foul. Uh, but just played with a lot of energy like we've seen, uh, like we saw in that last game against Washington as well. Still probably getting his legs under him, you know, getting back from that injury. But I think he played pretty well. Yeah, no, he, he he was awesome. I mean, there were a couple of times in, and I think the third or it might have been the fourth quarter where he he got switched on to Dennis Schroeder, who, who sort of uh, torched him a little bit. But I mean, just, I mean, again, I was, I, every time I watch him and, and for me, I, I missed, I, I was away during the Wizards game. So this is the first time I'm seeing him in what, what feels like forever. I, I, I just, you just always feel like he could be a game record defensively and, and honestly something kind of similar offensively, that tic-tac-toe passing sequence near the end of the game where it was Dotson to Trier to Robinson. I think that was the second time in the game. Trier and Robinson connected on a lob was just absolutely beautiful. And you feel like Anytime Robinson has a step 
he, he really has a chance to dunk it. And I, I, I genuinely believe if he was playing with a higher level point guard and that that's not even really a shot at, at Frank, given his, his current age, but, but you throw him right now with even like a drew holiday or like an old man, like Chris Paul, like, I feel like he could score 12 a game just off lobs, like playing enough minutes in, in the right setting. And obviously his fouling uh, proclivity uh, kind of prevents that from being a possibility. And there's still a lot of talk that he has to get his conditioning up coming back from injury. But I, I mean, every single time I watch him, I, I continue to be astounded by both his instincts defensively, like that second block he had where Grant tried to have like the little reverse layup going underneath the bucket. And he not only blocked it, but kept it in balance. That, that was really like, that, that's what you see out of the top defensive big men ever and I know that's hyperbole like I'm sure like guys across the league do that every single game but I, I just think again his combination of length and especially given his lack of lack of experience instincts is is really insane um I, I guess since we're going to focus on Frank and Trier in the next segment a little bit I'm, I'm just going to throw out some random game notes at you Alex that I had um you can acknowledge them ignore them uh, they are mostly unconnected but um I, I loved uh, just going in that second quarter to the frank dot trier knox robinson lineup just I, I don't even quite remember exactly how well they did when they were all out there it was just it was just nice to see if they'll actually go to that group um well, i'll say real quick ahead, funny yeah. enough funny enough at the end of the first quarter and going into the second quarter the lineup that today i mean not necessarily i want to see long term work better uh, but that worked better today was that same lineup you just mentioned, but sub in Hazonia for Knox. It actually worked quite well. I mean, that was that was at the end of the first, beginning of the second, and they, that was where they sort of turned things almost respectable again and started playing you know, roughly equal to the Thunder and sort of set that tone for the rest of the game. So that that lineup was good. The Frank uh, was it Frank Dotson, uh, Trier. Hazonia and Robinson. That yeah. was the lineup then that that played pretty well together. So that's just my individual note on your individual note. No, no, no. That's yeah, that, that that's a good one. Um, and then just three totally random things I noticed, since I don't think we'll get a chance to mention them in the second segment. Um, on the Thunder side of things, uh, there's there was just this great play where Stephen Adams just basically like really just like baited Alonzo Trier and it was kind of so obvious what he was doing in retrospect where he was just dribbling dribbling and Trier's like sort of sneaking back door and in Trier's mind he's like oh I'm gonna poke this away and there were multiple times in the first quarter it wasn't as bad throughout the rest of the game where and this is I mean a theme with the Knicks defense that we obviously don't want to harp on where they just have two defenders following one offensive player and, and this time Trier I think the instinct was right he thought um, Adams wasn't even looking and then the second Trier is about to get the steal. Adams just whips a pass to a cutting Grant and, and who dunks it. And it was just, it was just great. It was classic vet on rookie violence. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested. Were, were you, were you annoyed, or did you, did you like Russ's antics throughout the game? Because I, I don't know what he did last night. I, I don't, I don't think he, he went out. I think he might have been drinking like health smoothies all night because he seemed to have like an extra level of energy like he he had that play where like he kind of faked frank out of his shoes and then did the two extra pump fakes when frank was waiting for the inbound and then after nader made a shot like he, he just literally started like dancing on the sideline you could see it like kind of blurred out in the very back of the shot but i, I just thought it was kind of funny and i i sort of appreciated i guess some hardcore knicks fans would say he was kind of sunning the knicks and then they'd really they, they wouldn't like that russ did that but i don't know i just thought it was kind of funny I don't know. I think I think he got a little bent out of shape because there was that one sequence where Frank kind of bottled him up mm. earlier in the game. 
uh, I forget exactly when that was. I think and it was the very end of the second quarter. Right, right to end the second quarter, right? Because yeah. I, I keep mixing them up because he bottled up George at the end of the first quarter. It was, yeah. So that one was at the second quarter, and he kind of bottled him up right at the end there and stuck with him and just played up and down D, like right in into the paint, and you know Russ couldn't get a shot off. He probably went into the you know the locker room with a bad taste in his mouth, and that's what kind of made him want to attack Frank there in the second half. But, but I don't know. I mean, Russell Westbrook just kind of always plays that way, I think. I, I mean, he literally just, what was it, two nights ago? I, I forget what, what day the game was. They had the game against the Sixers, and he and Embiid have, like, their little feed and yeah. feud, I mean to say. And, and uh, you know, he got asked by the media about it, and he was like, oh, fuck, no, I still hate him. Like, he's, he's just kind of that kind of guy. He's very, like, vindictive and out for revenge and, you know, respect and all that stuff, I think, in the way that he plays and conducts himself, you know, on the basketball court. So it didn't really surprise me too much. I kind of just expect that out of him. Yeah, I, I kind of like he did. He did help up Cantor at one point, and I, I thought that he hated Cantor. So I, I kind of like that. And I also like Breen just talking about the uh, Cantor-Steven Adams relationship just because I love Steven Adams. And that, that it actually brought Cantor up in my esteem that Steven Adams is fond of him. Well, actually, all of all of Canner's former Thunder teammates seem to love him, in in some way or another. Well, like fake feuding it, with Russ at one point, and he was like, I had, he had some kind of comment about them, but I, and I thought like Russ got annoyed by it, but maybe maybe I'm remembering that. I don't know. All I know is that the other day Russ was asked. I, it might have been during that same interview about the Embiid thing. Someone asked him about cancer um, a number of days ago about the whole London thing with cancer not traveling and stuff, and he he went out of his way to be like, "That's my brother." Like. You know, uh, something about wanting him to be safe or something. I, I forget what the full quote was. I just remember that he referred to him as like, "That's my brother." Like, I love Cantor. Blah blah blah. Like, he's he's you know my buddy basically. Right. Okay. And then um, just last, a uh, totally irrelevant game note. I wanted to slip in there. Um, I think at one point, I believe it was Cantor scored on Stephen Adams, and Clyde said, "Aquaman, no match." I'm just shocked that he knows who Jason Momoa is. And that he looks like Stephen. Like I just, I just think that's something that he would be kind of blissfully unaware of. So that was that was just kind of a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Well. So all right. So <laughs> we'll post that on funny notes because my favorite, my favorite funny note was shout out to all the Knicks fans in the garden today because uh, fans apparently started cheering for Raymond Felton at the end of oh, great. like it, somewhere in the mid to late fourth quarter range. Fans started cheering, Raymond Felton, clap, 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 clap. And you could actually hear it on the broadcast. It got so loud. And they acknowledged it on the broadcast, And I think. And Ian Bagley, I know, tweeted about it like two or three times because it kept getting louder and louder. <laughs> and I just thought it was really funny. I was like, I don't know. That's cool that you yeah. know, they would cheer for an end-of-the-bench former Nick on a, on a game when uh, you know the Knicks were getting destroyed and it would be one <laughs> yeah. thing to cheer for. Well, I, I honestly, I can't, I can't sum up the Knicks fan experience better than that. All right, so we'll wrap up our first segment on that. We'll come back. Uh, the last two, because we went really long on this one, are going to be a little bit shorter. But we'll talk uh, Frank and Trier, get a little bit deeper on their respective performances, and then come back, talk about Ennis Cantor's kind of trade request, a little bit stronger than usual, and Luke Cornett's injury. That next on Locked on Knicks. All right, and welcome back into Locked on Knicks. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm here with Gavin Shaw. We're going to talk a little bit about Frank Nilakina and Alonzo Trier, both uh, in this individual game against the Thunder and then also just kind of in general over the last couple of games since they've been 
having kind of a resurgence the last couple of games. So first, I'll just I'll lead with a couple of quotes from from Frank to the New York Daily News, Stefan Bondi. Uh, he said today it was it was pregame, I believe, after after the initial shoot around, he was shooting around afterwards and Bondi caught up with him. Frank said, I know me as a player and I know my ceiling is really high, higher than everyone thinks. And then uh, David Fisdale said of him, I think Noah Keen is a team player. He's one of those type of players. A lot of people want him to be the scorer or playmaker and all that stuff. But ultimately, to win, you need guys that can do all the other little stuff. I think that is what he is. So two pretty encouraging quotes to me, first off. And then it led to Frank, and it has led to Frank having a couple of good games recently, I think, that he seems to be playing with a little more confidence again. And it seems like Fisdale is starting to gain some confidence in him again since he came back from that little uh, ankle injury for a couple games. So he had the, we already sort of, sort of touched on them. He had two excellent defensive sequences on Paul George and Russell Westbrook today uh, at on Paul George to end the half. He just kind of tracked him all the way around the floor. Uh, they took it down and Frank got put on him on a switch three point line, kind of followed him into the paint and then kind of, shuffled him back to the three-point line, and then George took a contested three to end the... Or, I don't know if it was quite a three, but towards the three-point line in the corner uh, to end the quarter, and that bricked. And then with Russ, Russ tried to drive on him, and Frank just kind of stonewalled him going into the paint, put his hands up, and Russ wasn't able to get a quality shot off to end that. And then, um, you mind if I stat vomit real quick, Gavin, yeah, before okay. I hand it over to you? Yeah. Okay, stat vomit time. Uh, so... <laughs> So in three games since Frank's come back from injury, uh, the Knicks are plus 15.3 in net rating with him on the court, and his off-the-court net rating is minus 32.3. So the Knicks, by that, that measure, like 32 points, uh, I believe, net rating figures for 100 possessions worse with him off the court. Uh, so both those numbers lead the team over the last three games. He's only averaging 6.7 points, 4.3 assists, one steal, and 0.7 block per game since coming back and shooting about 30%. But the defense and ball movement have been really helpful when he's out there, and I think that leads to those those metrics, like the on-off metrics favoring him. Uh, today, he actually shot four for eight in quarters one to three before just kind of getting unlucky in the fourth. But, like, I kind of did a stats versus eye test thing to – and what I what I'm feeling about him and like see if it's kind of checking out or not. And he's shooting 43% less than less than eight feet on the court right now, which really is not good. And he's he's only shooting one of ten from mid-range right now. But I went back and I watched at, thanks to NBA.com slash stats where all this stuff becomes available almost immediately after the game. I went back and I watched all of his attempts that he's taken in from anywhere over the last three games. And really what I've noticed is that he's getting his separation right now almost effortlessly, like getting into the into the lane. He's he's shaking guys, he's using good dribble moves. He's getting that separation he needs. The biggest thing is that he's just not finishing when he gets to the rim. And part of that's been playing against good defenders like Embiid and Steven Adams and all them. And part of it's just that his touch just isn't perfect yet because he's still 20 years old and all that and working on all that. His mid-range maybe leaves a little bit to be desired. I think his getting into the lane has been incredibly encouraging. And if he can start hitting a more normal percentage on shots close to the rim, like 55%, I 
the worm's going to kind of turn here on the the narrative with him and and we could be talking about Frank potentially turning a corner at some point here soon. Alex, this is this and, and, and my staff on it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was it was good. It was good. And, and now now people know that your your Skype picture is is a man with both of his eyes bulging, vomiting. So it's it's perfectly in character for you to stat vomit. Thank you. Once, once Thank you, Xbox Live. Yes, yeah, the good. the green stat vomit popping out of my guy's <laughs> mouth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking, I, I was I was similarly similarly creeped out to James, but I, I was too polite to say anything. So I was glad I was glad that he brought it up on the podcast. Speaking of which, before we get into this conversation, it was it was about three minutes ago at this point. So um, I'm I'm hesitant to bring it up, but I, I do I just want to I just want to make note of the fact that and and people, if you want to go back and listen, or maybe you caught it initially, Alex, I think you had a little bit of the signature uh, Marseille cadence on, on that comeback. You had the um, Alex Wolf. And it was it wasn't that strong, but it was, it was a little bit a little bit in there. So I think I think you might have been infected by his presence on the podcast. Uh, he's uh, yeah, I guess James is like a virus. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's I do how, certainly that's try to emulate certain things past. that he does. Yeah. All right. Anyway, well, you know what? I'm not normally. I, I was always kind of when I would come on with him. I was always kind of the deadpan sure. like, like way of talking, and I. Like now that I'm one of the hosts, that I need to speak with a little more vibrance, and so I've been working on that. So maybe that has been a little bit of his influence, but that's something I've also been consciously working on since we started doing this. Well, it sounds it sounds great. All right, and I, I want to I do this is an important conversation, so I do I do want to go along with it. I I agree with just about everything you said, and I appreciate the the research you did to back it up statistically because that that was really just again pure eye test, but that was that was really my instinct in this game that if, if you look his last three shots of the game and, and he finished four for 12 from the field, which obviously isn't good and is very much in line with his, his struggles in terms of field goal percentage of late, but his last three shots were kind of in and out. And I, I just feel like he's had a lot of those over the last few games looks like that. I think are totally good, totally reasonable shots. And, and keep in mind, I'm going to say all this with the qualifier and, uh, and I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think a lot of Knicks people fall into this trap. And I'm, I'm, for one, very open about it. I feel like every time I'm talking about him, I'm talking about one of my kids, where everything he does, I, I find a way to put a positive spin on it. Like, he, he makes a move and, like, misses a shot. I'm like, oh, but it almost went in. And if Hardaway did the same thing or, to a lesser degree, if Moutier did the same thing, like, I would just get this feeling of utter disgust <laughs> in my stomach. And it would, it would inevitably come out on this podcast. So I'll say all that. With, with this qualifier, but um, I, again, his last three shots going in and out, he hits two out of three. All of a sudden, he's six of twelve. He hits all three of those. All of a sudden, he's seven of twelve. And I, I feel like he's had again a lot of those over the last few games. But to me, what, what I'm looking at from him, and what I'm looking at really for all the guys on this Knicks team, is again they're not going to be consistent. They're not going to be great players yet because they're just too young and and they're outmatched every single night. But I, I'm looking for kind of those flashbulb moments, and and he had a few of them in this game that. Kind of no look behind the back, dump off pass to Canner in transition. That was just awesome. Not really something I've seen from him a whole lot this year, but I remember his rookie year where he got to play on the ball a lot more. There, there was quite a bit of that. And, and then the play where he had the little ball fake to get by Paul George, kind of got to the elbow and hit this high arcing fadeaway. That, that was just absolutely gorgeous and just not really something that I, I noticed that he had in his repertoire. And, and to your observation, Alex, that he looks more confident, confident on the dribble, I, I was just impressed with the sequence of moves he was able to string together. It's not something you're really used to from him, but clearly it's something he's working on. And and sometimes when guys do that in the league, like because I feel like all these guys are, are capable of dribbling. They're, they're all athletic. They've all been doing ball handling drills their, their whole life. But the question is, are you confident enough? And, and are, you, are you tight enough on that handle to consistently pull it off in, in the game? Frank is young enough 
that, that it's feasible that he could really develop that skill set, and it could be an essential part of his game going forward. So you, you threw some staff vomit out. I, I threw some observational vomit out. But I, I think the consensus is we're both really happy with how he's been playing. Yeah, yeah. And to your point with treating him like, like your kid or whatever and kind of looking at him with rose-colored glasses, I think that's the case with a lot of fans. There's also like the, the segment of fans that I personally don't quite get that just seem to want him to fall on his face tail. But to a lot of us, I think it's it's that you look at him through the lens of like he's only as old as a lot of the guys that came as draft picks this year. Isn't that you like know, he's the he's same. Like 19, right? Isn't he? Or is he 20? He's now? 20. He's 20. Oh, okay. He was 19 I last year. Get it. Oh, man. OK. All right. Only Kevin Knox is only 19. Right. right? Otherwise, we'd be making Noah Keenan's only 19 jokes all the time. But um He's the same age as Mitchell Robinson, who just came in this year. And, you know, people look at Mitchell Robinson and say, oh, he's so raw. He, you know, hadn't played organized basketball in a year, blah, blah, blah. Like, give him patience, give him time. But really, they're the same age. I mean, they're separated by months. Uh, Mitch might be older than Frank, technically, by like a month or two. Um, but, yeah, just in general, it, I think it's it's just a waiting game with him, you know? So you take the positives that you can. And, you know, if we maybe start hitting the end of the year and you're not seeing any tangible improvements, then, and he's getting consistent playing time and all that to, to justify, you know, the, the conclusions that you can make, then maybe then it's time to start worrying a little bit by the end of the year. But we just passed over the halfway mark and he's missed a little bit of time due to injury and then had those DNPs and stuff. I, I'm willing to keep being patient with him especially in a year like this where it doesn't really matter. Like, he doesn't have to develop right away. But right. anyway, I'll move us on to Alonzo Trier. We'll, we'll just touch on him real quick. Um, he, he played a pretty good amount with Frank today. And normally, I mean, we talked about that with uh, Schwinny a week or two ago about how, you know, typically lately when uh, Frank had been playing with Trier, it wasn't a great combo. Today it was phenomenal. Uh, they, they were really, like, great foil for one another. Um, he wasn't really, I mentioned already, he wasn't really doing the ISOZO routine. Uh, he seemed to be playing within the offense, which gave him some better looks. He shot, uh, he's been shooting over the last two games, eight of 16 and a hundred percent from the line today. His shooting line wasn't phenomenal. Uh, he had, was it three of three of eight today? I believe it was, but, uh, he shot 10 of 10 from the free throw line, which is incredible. I mean, he's getting into the lane. He was drawing fouls. And, uh, yeah, I, one little statistical thing that I noticed over the last two games, again, like small sample size alert, but worth noting, uh, 5% more of his field goals were assisted on over the last two games versus season average. So season average is 32.6%, and over the last two, it's been 37.5%. And he actually shoots... 44% on catch and shoot threes this year, again, in kind of a small sample size. But I think if that's something that he's willing to embrace a little more of taking a few plays to weigh along the, you know, the three point line, find his spots that way, and maybe even find some cuts rather than just always working with the ball in his hands, that could be a valuable skill for him, especially now that like when he strictly wants to ISO, it seems like teams kind of have the book on him a little bit. So those are just kind of my notes about him. But I, I thought he was really good. I mean, he, he was the biggest thing with the assist total with the, the eight assists was that a lot of those drives where sometimes he kind of just tunnel visions and goes right for the layup, no matter how many people are in between him and the hoop, he kicked out and he hit Tim Hardaway a couple of times. And I think I think he hit Knox for one of them as well. 
and just had a few really nice assists today. So that was good to see for me. Yeah, I um, I, I think I, I might not be the right person to judge because I, I'm admittedly extremely sleep-deprived right now. But when I watched the game, my I literally wrote down in my notes, and 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 then I saw I, I saw the stats, and I was I was I was clearly wrong. But I wrote that in my notes like God, like Trier like sucks right now, and and that could I again entirely admit that could be a product of me just not watching him closely enough, engaging him well enough. But I, I did I did think a lot of his production came in and I guess I mean to be fair this entire game was garbage time and maybe it's unfair to judge Frank positively on his impact in that time and Trier differently I mean I'll I'll just say it it definitely is but I I don't know I mean I just I still thought he was like forcing some stuff and his jumper still looks so flat to me and it just seems like he's totally lacking confidence in it the fact that he shot 10 free throws was really encouraging and the fact that he made all of them really encouraging but I think it was more a product of this up and down nature of this uh, and and just kind of a chaotic game and the fact that he was willing to be aggressive and that's kind of his default setting in, in a game where everyone was flying around even the thunder who, who had some really good moments defensively but it was almost like a shark that smelled blood in the water and they were too aggressive at points and left him overexposed and someone like Trier his, his game is kind of conducive to taking advantage of that getting to the rim and drawing fouls so obviously looking at the final stat line I mean about he, he clearly he played well um, I, I think the assists, as you mentioned, are clearly the most encouraging aspect of it. And the fact that he's scoring more off of ball movement is really encouraging. But I, I just I, I need to see him string together some level of scoring efficiency that he had earlier in the season, because right now I, I still am of the belief if, if he's not getting to the foul line, he's just not going to be efficient scoring the basketball. Well, to be fair to your point about doing most of his damage in garbage time, I mean, in this game, you could argue garbage time started halfway through the first quarter yeah because you kind of just knew that the game was lost at you know at the point the Knicks went down by 20 to a team that's like top five in the west like you knew that they weren't going to come back in this one you know it there was just that feeling about it so I'm willing to take the positives out of it I didn't think I didn't think his shot selection was perfect today he definitely took some pull-up mid-range shots that maybe you know my thought on them would be like look like maybe scale that back a little bit, but he's also at times this year had, you know, shot really good percentages from there. So, and I don't think the mid range shot should be 100% abandoned. You know what I mean? It's not like the mid range shot is a shot that you should never, ever, ever take because if you're wide open and you take it and you're, you know, you're fairly confident and you shoot good percentages, then cool. Like it shouldn't be the number one thing you're looking for, but it's acceptable from time to time if you're wide open and that's just kind of what the defense is giving you. But no, I, I hear your point as well, though. I mean, he hasn't been playing perfect, but I think between the last two games, you could argue that he's maybe starting to find his groove a little bit again, which is good to see because I, I'd rather him, even if he just plays with how he's played the last couple games, that's like a thousand times better than how he's played for the last like month and change since since he came back from his injury that he had at the beginning of December. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and and now and your point on garbage time is taken in. And I guess I just I, I want to see my the biggest thing I'm looking for again, just similar to Frank, just from an eye test perspective, like him being able to get maybe and and maybe that's just not his game, but a little bit more arc and and overall touch on his jumper. He's right. Like every time he shoots, he kind of has the Hazonia syndrome right now where I just, I just kind of assume it's going to be a brick. And anyways, let's wrap up this second segment. We'll come back. We'll have a quick conversation on Cantor's renewed trade demand and, um, and possible injury 
Well, a definite injury, but possibly we'll, we'll see how significant it is for Luke Cornett. That next on Locked on Knicks. All right. Welcome back in to Locked on Knicks. I'm Alex Wolf here with Gavin. And so we got Ennis Cantor to talk about again in the uh, the Ennis Cantor hour, but it won't be an hour. This will be very quick, I promise, because it's really not that huge a news. But we just, you know, got to deliver the news to you guys because we got to make sure everybody's informed of what's going on because that's you know our job we're part of the media kind of we're reporting what the media is reporting and making sure that you understand it here so uh so Ennis Cantor after the game today so prior to the game uh Cantor had been informed that he was not going to be in the rotation anymore that Fizz was going to be looking more to play uh some combo of Vonley uh, Mitch Robinson and Luke Cornett at center for now, and that Cantor was going to be kind of at the fourth spot on the big man depth chart, kind of a breaking case of emergency. Uh, we'll get to the fact that there was kind of a breaking case of emergency in a second here, but here's just a couple quotes that Cantor gave after the game. He said, I was very disappointed. There was nothing to be happy about, so I'm not happy, and I definitely don't agree with the decision, of course. He said, I'm a player, we're competitors, so we want to play big minutes. If you look at the whole year, first 41 games, I did not miss a game. And they put me in fourth in the rotation on Monday. It definitely hurts. It hurts a lot. And then he finished off by saying, I love it here, but in the end, I want to play basketball. I miss playing basketball, man. And I would let Nick General Manager Scott Perry and my agent Mark Bartlestein handle that stuff. Those quotes are via Ian Bagley of ESPN. So my general thoughts on this are just basically like, cool, get him out of here. However it takes. I mean, I, I appreciate Cantor, the humanitarian from this past week. Uh, he also said that the garden crowd gave him kind of a nice ovation when he came in in the in the first half. And he said it means a lot because now, like, I don't have a home. When I check in, the whole crowd was up and clapping, cheering for me. So it definitely showed me a lot. Just gives me so much hope. That's awesome. Cool. Great. I'm glad that Cantor enjoys New York in that respect and feels like he has a home here. Uh, and he's welcome to, you know, summer here or whatever he wants to do and live in New York <laughs> during the off season. I'm glad he has your permission. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but at this point, uh, the whole complaining canter act has gotten kind of old to me. The fact of the matter is, is that regardless of the circumstances, he played 19 minutes today and on a rebuilding team that doesn't really have much of a need for him when his contemporaries like Courtney Lee and Lance Thomas got DNPs today. Uh, I don't really see where he has any room to complain today. So uh, he, he just kind of needs to understand that he's not priority here and that his his playing time isn't really a priority to Fisdale at this point, as it shouldn't be, because we're now officially into the halfway point, cruising towards about you know 18 to 20 wins if we stick to the pace that we're at right now. So that's just my general thoughts. Just get him the hell out of here. Like, I, I don't care if they trade him or if it gets past the trade deadline and they just wave him at this point. Just whatever works. Just get him off the roster at this point. No uh, no disrespect to Cantor like the, again, the off-the-court human being because I think he's a good dude off the court, but he's just getting on my nerves as far as on the court and his sort of like basketball persona at this point. Yeah, just to clarify, we're, we're not calling for his arrest. Just to, in fact, we're, oh, hell no. opposite, yeah. we're calling for his release. From the Knicks, but yeah, I'm 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 100 with you. I, oh my god, yeah, no, I'm not saying he's released back to Turkey. <laughs> no, I'm saying just released from the Knicks, man. Like, so we can sign with another basketball team <laughs> in America. Um, yeah, no, I'm 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 100 with you. I don't 
I don't know. I don't. I think. I think the Kings were our, our best and last hope for for a stupid trade to give like I don't know like a second round pick and and maybe someone like Zach Randolph on an ex, on an expiring contract. I, I I just I don't really see it happening at this point. I don't, I don't think any team's going to trade for him. I just don't think he has that much utility in in the way his game the game is played today. I thought he was actually pretty decent against the Thunder, but again, decent for him usually means a cumulative negative impact. So I'm I'm 100 percent with you. I think he has to go out. Though, given the Luke Cornett situation, maybe the timing on that shifts a little bit for the Knicks. Yeah. Yeah, so as, as far as Luke goes, uh, he was hurt, turned his ankle. Uh, I guess they're calling it a sprain. Uh, he went for an x-ray, which came back inconclusive. So he's getting an MRI today, Tuesday. Uh, and that's per Steve Popper of Newsday. So, I don't know, just as far as that goes, that would kind of suck if it's anything... So the ankle sprains go like grade one, grade two, grade three. Grade one is like, you know, a little turn of the ankle. It could be back in a day or two. But the fact that they sent him to an x-ray and it came back inconclusive kind of makes me think maybe it's a grade two or greater, which that's kind of where you get into the situation where the I, I had a grade, what I diagnosed to be a grade two sprain like last year playing basketball, and it was not fun at all. Uh, it's like a, that's where your tendons get stretched to the point where like they almost, they almost break and you get the heavy bruising on your foot and everything. And just generally unpleasant. And you kind of have to be off your feet for about three to four weeks, at least. Uh, obviously Cornette would have the help of professional trainers. And I had myself in an ACE bandage. So mm. who knows if those are at all the same, but uh, yeah, if it's that it wouldn't be great. And he's probably going to be out for a few weeks. Uh, you could argue maybe that, you could still trade Cantor and just call up Isaiah Hicks and just give him some spin because you've got his full 45 days of uh, NBA eligibility on his two-way contract still available. But yeah, either way, it's just it sucks because Cornette's been playing relatively well lately. Uh, even if he didn't have his finest game in the previous game against the Wizards and wasn't really having his finest start to a game today, uh, it, it would not be cool to have him be out for an extended period of time but it seems like we might be headed towards that no i think his, his floor spacing is potentially valuable and i i get i i, I get annoyed when he tries to post up smaller players and he, he just ends up taking these like bs fadeaway shots that he actually he actually made one today but i don't know i don't think it's sustainable at all but again and we, we've talked about this a lot over the last few podcasts so i'm not going to harp on it but i think he's generally good for kind of a healthy nicks ecosystem we've talked about him a lot as kind of um, Hudson River dipped radioactive Kristaps uh, Porzingis. And I think he's been filling that role a little bit. And again, he, the chemistry between him and Frank and the idea that Frank played best with KP and giving him and Cornette some minutes to just kind of replicate that floor spacing and let Frank work with that was an idea I really liked. But you can kind of make up with that with some more Vonley at the five. Again, as you said, you could bring Hicks up. And ideally, when he's in really good shape, like I don't hate the idea of giving Mitchell Robinson about 20 minutes a game. So I, I think I think there are ways around that. Um, and depending on how long he's out, I, I guess you could argue that it wouldn't necessarily change what you're inevitably going to have to do with Cantor. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think they shouldn't ever look at anything through the scope at this point of like, oh, if we trade Cantor, how's it going to hurt our depth and all that? Because it shouldn't matter. I mean, you're just losing games anyway. You'll find a way, you know, trade Cantor, cut whoever you bring in if they're on an expiring contract and sign some guys to 10-day deals or something, see if something sticks. I don't know. There's like a million different options to to fill that void. 
But anyway, I don't know. That's all I have to add. Do you have anything else to add on any of this? Nope, that's it for me. Yeah, I think we're ready to call it quits for today because that's enough talking about a game that was so cruddy again. (laughs) And some cruddy rumors about a player who probably won't be here long term. So uh, this has been Locked on Knicks. I'm Alex Wolf. He's Gavin Shaw. Be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes or whatever platform you stream us on. And be sure to ask your Amazon Alexa to play podcast Locked on Knicks if you're like me and you don't like using your fingers because you'd rather just, you know, yell at your electronics, your robot overlords, call them up. Government's not listening, I promise, even though James said they were last week. And that's all for today. We'll uh, catch up with you guys again soon and have a good Tuesday.